Welcome to the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 38-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Bliss Brook. Learn from extraordinary leaders and get a behind-the-scenes look at what it truly takes to become a network marketing hero. On this week's episode, can build it fast, but if you don't keep building it strong, if you don't keep building your foundation strong, at some point you can get cracks in your foundation and that's going to prevent you from building a very tall building. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's tools at blissbusiness.com. My team goes out into the world and looks for people that have built an ethical four-year career, people that subscribe to the Bliss Business philosophies of how to build a network marketing organization that lasts a lifetime, people that have spent at least the last four years with one company, people that have ethically and authentically enrolled lots of people personally such that they got some leaders to show up and they got some geometric progressions to kick in. And and one of the things we like to feature, we don't talk about incomes on this call, but we do like to share with people what can happen when you personally enroll you know, 50 or 100 people in your career, and you do it in a short enough time frame, like two or three or four years, what can happen in terms of geometric progressions? So what we find in working with people is that if people really believed, if they really knew what was going to happen as a result of personally enrolling enough people to get momentum going on their team uh, and build the kind of income that comes with having thousands of people on your team, people would do it. Most people that are struggling in network marketing, they're just not motivated to go out and talk to enough people because they don't really believe that geometric progressions are going to kick in for them. So every one of these hero calls, we're finding people that have you know, they're not involved in, you know, hypey pyramid schemes or flim flam, you know, high flying, out of business kind of things. They're in long term, great companies, highly respected companies, companies that have great products, great cultures. And these are leaders that have at least spent four or five years building a team in that company. And they demonstrate what we talk about is possible in the four-year career. And I want to emphasize the word possible because, you know, we, we need to be clear with people that just because somebody goes and builds a team of 40,000 people does not mean that you will. doesn't mean that most people do. certainly doesn't mean that the average person does. What we do on these hero calls is we feature exceptional people, not so that you would interpret that you will do what they did, but that you, so that you will learn to believe that whatever it is you want to accomplish, maybe it's just $1,000 a month, maybe it's just you know, $1,500 a month, maybe it's 15000 a month, whatever it is you want to accomplish, you can do it here. 
And so these are extraordinary role models. They've done phenomenal things in building a business. And uh, so what I like to do is just uh, interview them. We don't ever rehearse these interviews. So the people I'm talking to don't know what I'm going to ask them. And basically what I just do is ask them to tell us their story. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest tonight, and then we're going to dive right in to her story. Her name is Efrosini Adamides, and she'll probably correct me for pronouncing that. (laughs) She's with a company called World Ventures, which is based in Dallas, Texas. World Ventures is a travel membership network marketing company, been around, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. The owners are friends of mine, very successful, wonderful company, really exploding around the world. And here what, here's what Efrosini has done. I had the opportunity uh, to meet her last year at GoPro. Actually, I, maybe her upline, uh, Matt Morris, a good friend of mine that's a World Ventures leader who we're, we're also going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks, uh, introduced me to her. She's got an extraordinary story. She grew up in a middle-class family in Cyprus. Uh, at the age of 10, she and her family immigrated to Australia. With, and went with no money and just a, a one suitcase of, of clothes. But Efrosini was inspired by her parents' work ethic, inspired by the possibilities. Maybe she'll tell us more about what triggered that inspiration. So she went on to get a great education, got a bachelor degree in business and marketing and tourism management. She worked in the corporate world for 15 years, was a highly sought-after executive by companies like Warner Brothers, Village Films, MIX FM Radio. Uh, She specialized in media as an executive, really an extraordinary career. And then, and we're going to find out in the story how it happened, then she got introduced to network marketing. And, you know, I think that nexus point is something for all of us to pay attention to because we're all out there talking to people Some of them are white-collar executives, great education, great jobs. And, you know, we go to them and we say, you know, hey, would you like to take a look at network marketing? And, of course, they say no because they have this great job and they have this great education. Or perhaps, and even more likely, we don't even talk to them because we're intimidated to talk to them. So we're really going to dive into who had the courage to introduce her to network marketing and what was it about that presentation that captured her imagination. It did capture her imagination. She's, she's got a phenomenal four-year career under her belt. She's personally sponsored 65 people, which is actually on the low end of the people that we interview. So I'll bet she has some interesting philosophies and training tidbits about how she converted only 65 people into an organization of 40,000 active representatives doing $40 million in business in 30 countries. Now, that's the kind of business we'd all like to build. And guess what? It just came from a decision. It came from getting in action, personally sponsoring 65 people, and nurturing them, leading them, encouraging, motivating, and coaching them over four years, and they exploded into 30 countries and 40,000 people. So with that, 
I bring you Eprosini. Are you there from Australia? Yes, I am, Richard. Thank you for having me on the call. I just have to say what an honor and a privilege it is after reading your book so many years ago and then rereading them and then to meet you in Vegas and all of a sudden be on a call with you right now. It's a real privilege. So thank you for having me. Well, we, got, we have to thank Matt for that because he really <laughs> sang your praises and uh, he enlightened Kimmy and I as to who you were and a little bit about your story and what a gift you would be to the Hero Call. So we're honored to have you here, uh, and I know your story is going to be a great inspiration to everyone that's listening. So this dive into it. What I want to know, uh, first of all, is who was the person that first introduced you to this opportunity? How did you know them? Like, what was your relationship to them? And what did they say that captured your imagination? Can you tell us that story? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, funnily enough, my brother was the person that invited me to see my first network marketing opportunity. And the reason I went to presentation, and it wasn't an ordinary presentation, it was a four-hour extended presentation slash training. And wow. <laughs> to give you a little bit of a background, at the time I was um, living in London, I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. Ugh. Didn't have a lot of time at all. And, um, but I would give myself one Sunday off a month. So my brother wanted to take me to this event on that one Sunday off that I had the whole month to see something he wouldn't tell me anything about. And um, I guess the, the main reason that I went to see it is purely out of trust. I... He wouldn't tell me anything, so I was just very curious. And I did actually try to tell him, look, if you don't tell me something about it, I'm just not going to come. And my brother said to me, okay, sis, don't come. You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> and because he kept his posture, I was just too curious. And that was the main reason that I went to see the presentation. Wow. So he used the total curiosity approach, and he held his mm -hmm. ground. So what did your brother do for a living? So my brother at the time was a business development manager for the Marriott Hotel chains. So uh -huh. he really, he had a 10-year career in hotels and travel. Um, so I guess when I went to see the company, the, the main thing that appealed to me as much as I love to go on holidays at the time wasn't the travel. It was the idea of making passive income because I already had a property sourcing company on the side as well as working a full-time job, as well as running a marketing consulting agency, hence the reason I was working so many hours. And the reason that I got into property was purely because I heard that the only way to create freedom is to have passive incomes. And after working so many years for so many hours and feeling like I was never getting ahead, I was looking for passive income streams. So... My brother thought I would just get started for the travel. <laughs> but I went there and just that one slide talking about passive income and the, the freedom lifestyle was the main reason that I just said, yes, this is my way out. And, um, of course, comparing it to property investing at the time where I was investing hundreds of thousands of pounds in order to make passive income, 
I just it just became a no brainer for me. Yeah, so that's interesting. So brother, uh, that's key. You know, if you I think if you interview, you know, any mass number of network marketers and you ask them who introduced you to the opportunity, seventy five percent of them are gonna say friends and family. Mm. And so what that speaks to is the whole cold market uh, prospecting people you don't know, although it's something we all need to learn how to do, most success comes from your warm market and yours right there with your brother. Interesting mm-hmm. that he held his posture on that invite uh, and his occupation had to help him do that. So he was a very credible, successful person in his own right. The thing that fascinates mm. me the most about that story um, is that you were, it sounds like you were already looking for mm-hmm. residual income. You were looking for passive income. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so you were educated enough about wealth building to know you needed some passive uh, sources of income, and it probably helped a lot that you'd already gone the route of real estate. So you know mm-hmm. how how frustrating that is where, you know, you, you could invest hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get a mediocre stream of income. And then of course you got the headache of the real estate. So very interesting that what your brother danced out in front of you was passive income. The world ventures presentation talked about passive income and that's what got your attention. So tell mm-hmm. us, Epicides, how, how did you start? Like, were you, what country were you living in? And how did you launch your business? Did you have some struggles in the launch? Did you launch successfully? Did your brother help you? Tell us about your first 90 days. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, um, I was very fortunate that I knew Matt Morris from a previous company. And Matt Morris has played such a key role as a mentor to myself and my brother, and I really feel like I'm very much indebted to Matt Morris and also to Johnny Wimbry, my other mentor. And Johnny, good one man. Of the things, good man. Yeah, amazing mentor. And um, the thing is, is that I'd seen World Ventures, and at the time I needed to believe because I just saw it in pre-launch international. There was nobody international making money yet. There was no trips outside of pretty much in Europe at the time, and I was living in London. Um, in fact, there was one trip that was in Switzerland, and it included flights from Chicago, so that wasn't very useful. Um, so I needed to believe, and uh, what Matt said to us is he's got to come out for a training. And the following weekend, I flew out to Los Angeles for a two-day training, and that's where my vision became bigger. That's when I realized how big it was. And that's when I just said, okay, this is it. This company is bigger than what I could possibly imagine. So I put in 20 personals in my first month. Awesome. Um, Stop right there. Stop right there. Yep. That's super key. Mm -hmm. You personally sponsored 20 people in your first month. That is, um, that's like three people a week. Mm -hmm. And so tell us how you did that. Who were the people that you enrolled in the first month? How did you know them? 
And what did you say to them? Did you use a tool to put in front of them, or did you personally talk to them? Tell us about those well, 20 people. Yes. So basically what I did is um, I rounded up a lot of my close friends and also some colleagues that I had you know, from property and other areas that I knew trusted me and had always said to me that they would love to go on business with me. So I just called them up and I said, listen, um, I found something and this is going to be big and I want you to come around to my house so I can introduce you to my brother and share with you guys what we're getting ready to do. So I literally so, invited them all over and my brother who had been a little bit more experienced than I was, did the presentation and essentially I put in nine personals pretty much my 24 hours of taking action. Wow. And that was, that was the first launch. And th the main reason that I did that, Richard, is because my mentor said to me, in network marketing, marketing he goes, you go one first week, one first month, one first year. He goes, that's yep. going to be the story, so make it a powerful story because you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So what do you yep. want your story to be? And, I, and that just kind of really stood in my mind. So I said, I, re, I really wanted a powerful story. So I knew that I had to, I'm going to have people that were going to turn around and say to me, how much money have you made? How do you know this works? So I knew that I needed to create a fast story so then I could show them through my results that this works. Yeah, that is so profound, uh, Efrosini, that, you know, your launch story, you're going to be using that story 10 years into your career. And that mm -hmm. story is so critical when you're sitting down with a new person because they want, they want leadership. They want, they want a vision. They want a track to run on. They want to know not only what to do, but they want to know what's the standard, you know, what's the mm -hmm. pace of play. And so if your story is, well, I messed around and procrastinated and I sponsored a couple of people my first month and, you know, you know, it was a, 18 months later before, you know, I even advanced to the, you know, a moderate position in the compensation plan. Well, that's the standard then that you set for every mm -hmm. new person. Everybody you sponsor, that's what they get to aspire to. Versus if your story is, I enrolled 12 people in my first 24 hours and 20 people in my first month, that's the standard for everybody that you enroll mm -hmm. for the rest of your career. That's so, so I, I'm curious, you said, who was it that ingrained that in you? You've got one first week, one first month, one first year. Who do you give credit to teaching you that? Johnny Wimbry taught me that. Yeah, beautiful. Congratulations, Johnny. <laughs> That's a beautiful one. Okay, so tell us, tell us what happened like the first year. What was the first year like? So, you know, once I put in a whole bunch of personals, the, we took us about four months to build a team of 100 people. Yep. And then, and then I kept on uh, another one of my mentors basically said to me, he goes, you know, addition's great. He goes, but leaders are always born in seminars. So you've got to yep. take your team to seminars so you can see who's going to rise up and step up and be the leader. And, um, you know, after we built a team of about 100 people, we took five people 
to a two-day event that was happening in London that we took them from our Cyprus team because by then we'd also launched Cyprus. And uh, within just over two and a half months, we put in a, approximately 800 sales in our team. And I guess that's where the 800 sales. And was so that a World Ventures two-day event or something generic? That's right, World Ventures. Okay, good. So and by the end of the first year, the, how big was your team? Five and a half thousand people. 5,500 people by the end of your first year. That's the power That's right. of geometric progression. So you, mm. you, you got some leaders going on there, and I think that's another just great nugget that everybody just needs to understand is most people that are playing the game in network marketing, they're trying to figure it out. They're deciding whether or not they want to do it. They're like a cat with a toy. They kind of just bat it around every once in a while when they get bored, but they're not committed to it. They're not influencers. They don't make big things happen. They don't attract lots of people to the team. But when you get a leader, and like you said, leaders are inspired at, a, at events. So mm -hmm. you may have lots of leaders on your team. They may be leaders in their full-time career. They may be leaders in their community. But until you get people at an event where they can see the superstars of the business, you don't tend to inspire them to rise up in your business. And, but when you get leadership to rise up, what you get, if you could, if you, if you could visualize this, so um, uh, Ephrosini is talking about her leaders that built her team to 5,000 people. But think about her. She was also one of those leaders. So on Matt's team and Johnny's team, they've got a leader now that brought 5,500 people on, into the business in one year. That's just powerful leadership that does that. So how do you get that? Well, first of all, you've got to get lots of numbers because, you know, leaders are about one out of 20. You know, they're 5% they're or less of the population and then you've got to mm -hmm. get those one out of 20, you've got to get them in an environment where they're inspired to, to display their leadership in your company. They've got to see the top leaders in the company. They've got to see the people. They've got to feel the energy. They've got to see the vision. They have to see people on stage where they say to themselves, uh, I can do that. I want to be one of those people. That's how you inspire people. That's why FRC is talking about you, leaders get inspired at events. It's so critical that you just keep going back to events. Events is just a part of our business model. They're mm -hmm. not optional. They're not, oh, I'm going to go because it's in Vegas, or I'm going to go because it's in July, or I'm going to go because I can afford it. Events are the lifeblood of this business. They're just as important as recruiting. They're just as important as retail sales. Really great mm -hmm. lessons. So tell us about the next three years. You kind of rounded out your four-year career. Those 5,500 people grew into 42,000 people. What are some of the things that happened in those next three years where the game has changed for you, Efrosini? It's not about recruiting. Now it's about leadership and coaching. And I know you recruited a lot more people in that 
four years, but tell us about some of the mm. leadership lessons you learned and some of the challenges you faced. Well, I mean, our team grew very, very fast, uh, Richard, uh, which was great, and we're very blessed because of the training system of the company. But um, I guess adversity hit a few months later, and I can pretty much kind of put it down to maybe our ego got a little bit big at some point because there was so much noise around what we were doing and what we were creating. And when you go from zero to starting to make some pretty serious money within a very short period of time, we thought we had arrived. And we started becoming a little bit uncoachable and thinking that we knew everything. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes the universe has a funny way of, you know, reminding you where you came from. <laughs> and I and so how did the universe saying, remind you? Well, we just had some challenges happen, you know, with, uh, you know, the uh, local media over in Cyprus. Uh, you know, when uh. something, it gets to the point where you're exploiting so much in a little island called Cyprus. It's only 750,000 population. But all of a sudden, we were literally showing three, 4,000 people a week you know, our company was pretty much on everybody's lips. Now, they say there's two ways to beat your competition. <laughs> number one is train the hardest and run the fastest. Or number two, break your competition's legs. <laughs> and, you know, we did have some, uh, we did have some uh, competitors try to break our legs. And, you know, uh, we got a few slaps along the way and just made us realize that, you know what, you can build it fast, but if you don't keep building it strong, if you don't keep building your foundation strong, at some point you can get cracks in your foundation and that's going to prevent you from building a, a very tall building. And we had that a little bit. That was a little bit of a lesson that kind of knocked us back in our second, um, in our second year, essentially. And um, then we launched Greece. And that was basically our next level where we started growing more as leaders and started focusing more on developing other leaders um, rather than just always being the, the leaders is uh, we started developing leaders of leaders. And uh, with what's happened, of course, in the Greece economy as well, that was challenging. It was challenging to our character, but at the same time, it's what made us stronger as leaders to keep waving the flag of network marketing, keep waving the flag of hope and freedom, and lifestyle, and fun, and, uh, and essentially giving a breath of fresh air into Greece and what was going on over there to the, to the people in Greece. And it Beautiful. also exploded our business, of course. Mm -hmm. So did anybody in your upline, um, when they saw that perhaps you were getting a little bit uncoachable, did anybody like Matt or Johnny have a word with you? You know, they never did from that perspective. They've got this way. It's sometimes it's the unspoken word that really makes an impact. <laughs> and, you know, Matt and Johnny are just such great mentors. And now two of my closest friends, you know, they're, they're part of my family now. And I guess um, it was kind of like the naughty kids, when, it, when your little child becomes a little bit naughty, it can try to discipline it, and that might make them rebel a little bit more. Or it can just basically keep pouring some love on them and just have faith they'll find their way back. 
And, yeah. you know, that's what they did with us. You know, they just kept on pouring love on us. And uh, eventually we found our way back. Beautiful. All right. Uh, question. Maybe you covered it. If, if, uh, so I'd, I'd be looking for something new. Don't tell me the uncoachable moment. Give me something new. In your, <laughs> in your network marketing career so far, what's the biggest mistake you have made? Might be economic consequences. It might be health. It might be relationship. It might be integrity. What's the biggest mistake you've made? I'd say the biggest mistake that I made, Richard, was at some point slowing down. Um, you know, the, the first year I put in 34 personals, um, and because we created so much success, in my second and my third year, I only put another 16. Now, my team, of course, kept on growing, but because I had personally slowed down, um, I didn't advance in ranks as much as I should have. And that was the kind of thing, the mistake of going into management mode. You know, I kind of figured I had 50 personals. I had a few thousand people in my team. Uh, so training for the company was getting a lot of attention and things like that. So, you know, I guess one of the things that they say is very dangerous, it had a little bit of success is very dangerous sometimes because you get that recognition from a little bit of success and you think that that's it. And my business at some point, even though it was doing relatively well, it could have gone a lot faster. And it was when I basically made the decision that, that I would go back and go back into personal recruitment mode and see if I just signed up again. That's when I put a whole uh, fresh blood into my team and fresh life into it and started advancing in rank again. So slowing right. down, you know, it's, uh, slowing down is key. When you've got momentum in your organization, it's such a precious thing, that's the time to push even harder. Instead of slowing down, you want to push harder, double the intensity, double the speed. Yes. So that's a great lesson. And you, you dropped a nugget there that we could spend an entire hour on. Uh, but what you said was you decided to start over like you were a brand-new distributor and start mm -hmm. enrolling like you were a brand-new distributor. And I think that's so powerful because it, if you go back to what we were talking about earlier, you, you only get one first week, one first month, one first year. Your story is everything. But... I have empathy for the people who are listening out there on this call that say, well, I've been in two years, and so my story is butchered. My story is no good. What do I do? Well, here's what you do. You start over. Mm -hmm. You just relaunch. You create a new first week, a new first month, a new first year, and then what you do when you're sitting in front of your people, they say, well, how did you start? Then what you can say is, well, you know what? I totally blew it. I wasted my first week. I wasted my first month. I wasted my first year. In fact, it took me two years before I woke up. And what I decided to do was start over. And so three months ago, I started over. And here's, here's what I did my first week. 
and here's what I did my first month, and here's what I did my first three months. So you can actually start over and create a whole new mm-hmm. story. You're not stuck with your failures in the past. And what I want to ask you is, because people ask me this a lot, and, you know, it's not an easy question and answer. I've been in two years. I've just struggled. I've talked to a lot of people. Maybe I've sponsored some people. They've all pretty much gone by the wayside. How do I start over? How do I mentally and strategically start over? How would you answer Mm -hmm. that question? So the first thing that you have to do is you have to forgive yourself. Ah. We're always our own worst critic, and we're always so hard on ourselves. And the worst thing that we can do is keep on comparing our success to others because we're not comparing apples with apples. You know, you might have some listeners right now that are listening to this that maybe this is your first ever network marketing company. Maybe this is your first ever business. So maybe you had to go through some learning lessons to build the character, to build the entrepreneurial mindset. And someone who's come in and maybe they've had a business for five years and they understand what it takes, they start from the starting line, but maybe you started five steps behind the starting line. And maybe the last two years you've been building yourself up so you can get to that starting line. And I I think we've all fallen into that trap of we compare ourselves and someone comes in and they advance rank much quicker than us and all of a sudden we start comparing and going, okay, that person is better than us. Why have I failed? Why am I so slow? But if you turn around and say, okay, this is your story to build, nobody else's, and you can't enjoy the glory without first building your story. So what I found is that sometimes the people that have a slow start can actually impact so many more people rather than the people that come and build it faster out of the gate because they're more relatable because they've had the tough beginning. So forgive yourself. Understand that this is your story. You're unique. There's nobody else like you. And at the same time, though, by forgiving yourself, make a commitment that if today's going to be your first day, a question that I like to ask myself every night before I go to bed, if my team was watching me today, And if my team did exactly what I did today, what will my check look like over the next 30, 90 days? And sometimes I don't even go to bed unless I say to myself, okay, let me make at least one more phone call. Let me make at least one more appointment. Or let me do at least one more something before I go to bed. So at least I can feel that if my team was watching me right now, you know, that, and they were doing exactly the same thing, then I'm pushing my business in, in the right direction. And the other thing is as well, it's also reading the right books to build your mindset while you're on that journey. That's really key. And I, I love your book. It's one of the first few books that I read, Richard, uh, Match to Your Hair on Fire, because I remember uh-huh. that was the book that introduced me to visualization. And, you know, it's, it's crazy, but... Every single morning before I start my day, I start off with visualization now and just focus with the end in mind and saying to myself, okay, you know, when I reach the the following rank and I'm up on stage, who's watching me? Who am I thinking? You know, how am I feeling? What am I going to wear? Like everything. And, you know, and again, to your listeners, visualize that moment. And if you already visualize that moment, you're already there. 
uh, it's just a matter of time. If you're putting in the work, you've made the commitment and, and you do exactly what you need to do. It's only a matter of time before that happens and that visualization becomes a realization. You got that. Uh, tell us about some of the books you read. So I appreciate Mach 2 introduced you to visualization. What else have you read or do you read or do you recommend to your team? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on where they're at in their personal development journey. I'm very much a tools and systems kind of person. So, you know, I've always got part of my daily routine is reading at least 15 pages from a good book and listening to at least an hour of audios. Um, that's part of my daily routine. And I recommend that to especially people that I'm working with directly Maybe not an hour because a lot of them are doing it part-time, but at least half an hour of listening to an audio. And I'll give them specific audios or books to listen to, depending on where their mindset's at. Now, one of my favorite books to, as a general personal development book that I like to recommend to people is As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Sure. Super classic. I think that's a good, yeah, it's, it's a great introduction to how powerful the mindset is. Um, and it really just sets the pace. And, um, and, of course, how to win friends and influence people. You know, it's not necessarily just network marketing books that I recommend to my team members, but also general books that's going to help them to sharpen the skills that they need to. Um, the Four-Year Career, that's a great book to kind of really paint the vision for people as well of what is possible. Um, and, um, of course, uh, I remember one of the first books that I read at the beginning of my journey as well, Your First Year in Network Marketing. Um, even though it is a little bit outdated, uh, some of the content, I thought it was a great foundation uh, for preparing you for the journey, especially for someone that never really did network marketing much before I joined our company. Yeah, that was a great book. Um mm. How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the most influential books of my career. Our, my mentors gave us the system of, you know, buy old cheap paperback version and tear out each chapter, tear the chapter out, staple it together, and carry that chapter around with you for a week. And wow. every day, every day read five or 10, 15 minutes of it, put it into practice, every week you're putting into practice a different distinction from that book. And, you know, three or four months later, you've got total mastery of it, and you've created the, the ripple effect, the benefits of it in your life and your business. So many good Absolutely. books, so many great tips there about your daily routine. An hour of listening a day and at least mm-hmm. 15 pages of reading. So you may have already covered what you, how you would answer this. So think of something new. And mm-hmm. so the question is the flip side, what is the smartest, most brilliant, most breakthrough productive thing you've done in your network marketing career? Like if you could point to one thing that led to your success, what would it be? I would say going on uh, several 90-day blitzes in my team, in my uh, career in network marketing. Um, and it's just 
several short sprints, 90 days, where I just went all out massive action, uh, started building brand new teams, especially launching new markets. Like I moved out to Australia two and a half years ago when our company expanded over here. So as soon as I moved out to Australia, I just started another 90-day blitz and just putting a whole bunch of new personals, started building new teams. And it's that full immersion of you literally squeezing the dead air out of your schedule. You're making some sacrifices for a season. And because you're going so fast, you know, we've probably heard the expression, the speed of the team is determined by the speed of the leader. Then by going fast, you attract other people into your organization that you want to move fast. So that's always so what been exactly, one of the key things that I do. Yeah. What exactly would you do for that 90 days? So one of the things I heard you say, which is awesome, is squeeze all of the dead air out of your schedule. But give <laughs> us some more practical application how would you plan the 90 days? What would be the goal of the 90 days? And how would you execute? Mm-hmm. So I've actually, um, me and my brother have put together a plan that's literally like a 12-week um, schedule of the preparation phase. So, you know, letting your family and your close friends know that for the next 90 days, please forgive me, but I'm about to you know, fully immerse myself into my business. So if you don't really see me as much socializing and catching up and things like that, I just want you to appreciate that for the next 90 days, I'm doing this for X, Y, Z reasons. And I share with them my goal for doing it because I have a specific goal by the end of that 90 days, whether it's advancing rank or whether it's helping other people in my team to advance rank um, at the same time. So it's the preparation phase. Uh, the second thing is, is during that time, I might just completely get rid of, you know, things like television. Hobbies that normally would take up some of my time that I'm just going to reduce for that 90 days because I want to go out into all-out massive action. I will prepare a new list. And my list might be a combination because the, your list is a living list. You know, it's you're always going to keep adding to it. And I never take anybody off my list unless A, they sign up. Or sometimes I like to detox my list of some people as well, where they say they're just unqualified to work with me. (laughs) So occasionally I do that. But, um, you know, my list has increased from a couple of hundred people when I first got started to now between LinkedIn and Facebook and all that social media has turned into a list of two and a half thousand people. Stop. Because that people people are probably like, Wow. All right. So tell us how you did that. You got 2,500 prospects on your list from LinkedIn mm-hmm. and Facebook. How, how, yep. did you, how do you mine those social media resources? So I'm very conscious about my social media. Like I will literally allocate specific times during the day where I will do posts or connect with people. Um, on social media because you can literally lose hours on social media with, without it actually being productive. Um, but the other thing is, is that I meet people on a daily basis. So as soon as I meet somebody, I'll send them a friend request or connect on Facebook. And I'll put reminders to every two or three months uh, with people that maybe I've shown in the past and it just wasn't the right time for them. I'll put a little reminder every two or three months just to keep them updated of what's going on, to reconnect with them, 
see what's happening in their life. Um, and of course, asking people for referrals because, you know, you might have a, a bunch of people that maybe you've shown the opportunity to and maybe it's not for them. But if you ask them the right questions, they might be able to give you two or three referrals of people that they know that you can add to your list as well to expand the list. So, Epersini, would you tell us, if I'm somebody you've presented to and I said, you know, not, not for me, not interested, what are the questions you would ask me to solicit referrals from me? So the first question that I would ask, I would firstly thank them for taking the time to check it out. And, um, and I know that this is not your timing right now, but if there's one person that you know in your life that just kind of springs to mind that maybe they've always been a bit of a go-getter and maybe they've been talking lately about maybe they're looking for something new or change in direction or change in career, or maybe they've just been complaining about the kind of income that they're getting, who's the first person that will spring to your mind? Good. So that's, good. that's one question that I would ask them. Or, you anybody know, who do you anybody know can ask that. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, another question, because obviously we're, we're in travel as well, is, you know, who do you know that springs to mind that just loves to go on holidays? Right. And because obviously that's, that's so generic, they'll give me a couple of two or three referrals along those lines. Um, and just those kind of questions that kind of prompt things. Now, the other thing that I also tell them is that, look, I'm, I'm, do you mind if I just give them a call and let them know that you passed me their number? Um, now, I just want to keep you in the loop because I'm going to go show them, of course. If they're ready to get started, do you want me to give you an update first? And Beautiful. I've had situations where they said to me, yeah, of course, I want to know about it. And in fact, last night I was having a conversation with someone. They gave me a referral. The person was ready to get started. Um, so they got started first so they can benefit from that. Um, you know, so it's amazing how sometimes people's belief in themselves is usually what's really holding them back from jumping on board with the opportunity rather than the excuse that they're giving us. They're just not sure whether they can do it themselves. Right. So when you ask for a referral, it's all about somebody else. There's big magic there, big magic in referrals. One of, the, one of the points that I want to make for you folks about referrals to think about is, you know, we tend to think about our names list as a, in a finite number. I've got 100 people. I've got 200 people. I've got 500 people. And when I talk to all of them, then I don't have any more prospects. And if you'll just adopt the strategy of asking for a referral, just like she showed you, anybody can ask that question. I know it's not for you. It's not a good time for you. I get that. I appreciate that. But who do you know that's a go-getter that might recently have said something about looking for something? You've got to know somebody. And People will give you that referral for a couple of reasons. One, because you asked for it. Two, because they, they see and feel like if they give you a referral, it takes the focus off of them. It takes the heat off of them. It takes the pressure off of them to say yes or no or to feel guilty about saying no because people do. So if they say, yeah, go over here, talk to this guy. <laughs> So mm -hmm. like they're, they're kind of off the hook. So here's the thing I want you to think about with these referrals. If you have 300 people 
on your names list, and you talk to every one of them, and you ask every one of them for a referral, even if all 300 say no, how many new prospects do you have on your list? How many people are on your list when you talk to 300 people who say no if you ask each one of them for a referral? I'll help you. 300 new people. And I'm going to give you a little script, all of you, that will really help you talk to this new person, this referral, with some credibility. So if I ask Ephrosini for a referral, say, you know, I get it's not your time, I'm cool with that, totally respect that, but you've got to know somebody that's a go-getter, somebody that's an entrepreneur, or somebody that's just burned out on their career and might be ready for a change, somebody that you respect, somebody that you admire, you know, who would you refer me to, Eversini? And she says, well, mm. you know, I would refer you to Mary. You know, you might want to talk to Mary. She's in real estate. She's kind of tired of it. So, okay, get Mary's contact information from Eversini. And the last thing I, I tell Eversini is this. You know, thank you. I love what you said, Eversini, about keeping you in the loop because, you know, that's really important. But the last thing you want to tell Afrosini is, thank you for the referral. I promise I'll call Mary. I promise I'll call Mary. And then you call Mary up. And you say, Mary, Afrosini suggested I call you, and I promised her I would. I don't think mm. I have to explain to all of you the psychology behind that, but it really establishes you with Mary as a warm market prospect immediately, not because you know Mary, but because you've brought all the relationship that Efrosini has with Mary to the conversation. Mary suggested that I call you, and I promised her I would. Think about the posture involved in that. You do that with everybody that tells you no, you'll never run out of people to talk to because every no puts a fresh new warm market name on your list. Great stuff, Mm. thank you. So we got 10 minutes left. Imagine people out there that are listening I think most of the people that join these calls, Eprosini, around the world from you know, di- many different companies, I think most of them, I don't think there's a lot of Eprosinis that get on hero calls. Not a, not a lot of people that come out of the box and four years later have 42,000 people on their team. They're not listening to other people's calls so often. They're, they're doing their own calls. Most of the people that are listening to these calls are people that really want that kind of success. Maybe not 42,000 people. They'd probably be really, really happy with 420 people or 4,200 people. And, you know, they're trapped in that no man, no woman's land of, I've been doing this a year. I've been doing this two years. I've talked to everyone I've known. I've gone to all the training. I've done everything I know how to do. I don't want to give up. But I want to relaunch. I want to launch. I want to have a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. 
And I know we've talked about this already, but I really want you to visualize as we close this out that you would be talking to those people like they would be sitting down with you one-on-one -on -one and they would say to you, I'm frustrated, I'm struggling, I'm not giving up, I love my company, I love my products, I love network marketing. Give me, what are the three things you would tell them to do if they, if they convinced you they were committed to having a breakthrough, not more of the same, not try harder, not just go talk to more people, but what are three things that you would tell them to do if they, if they convinced you they were ready for a breakthrough? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing that I would say is stop buying into your own story. Just because that was your story for the last year doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your story for the next 12 months. But the other thing is as well is that sometimes people say, I've been doing network marketing for, year, for a year or I've been doing network marketing for two years. But how long you've been doing it is irrelevant compared to how much activity you have done in that one or two years. See, I've got people in my team that they've been doing network marketing for one or two years, but in those one or two years, they might have shown 30 people. Right. And I've got people that have been doing it one or two years, but those one or two years, they've shown 300 people. So your results are going to be a direct reflection of the activity that you have put in, not the time that you have spent in the company. The other thing is, is that you've got to sharpen your axe. So you might be out there, maybe you're one of those people that in the last one or two years, yes, you have put in the effort, you've spoken to a lot of people, you've done a lot of presentations, um, you know, maybe you're doing the, the hard work, but the other question that I would say is, are you doing something daily to sharpen your skills, to sharpen your closing, to sharpen your inviting, maybe to sharpen your posture, because people follow people that know where they're going. Are you painting a crystal clear vision to your prospects of what you're creating, where you're going, and essentially showing them why by them joining you, you're the kind of person that can lead them to the promised land? Because if you paint a crystal clear vision to your prospects about what you're creating, they'll follow you to the other side of the world. And I'm speaking from experience because we've had a lot of our, our leaders literally move from country to country to help us launch other markets because we've got an amazing leadership team. So have a crystal clear vision where you're going and paint that vision for your prospects as well and keep sharpening that axe. Keep, you know, if, you, if your company has trainings, Make sure you go into the trainings. But the other thing that I would finish off with is track those activities that are going to progress your business. So track daily. How many people are you speaking to on a daily basis? You know, how many people are you inviting? How many people are you presenting to? How many people have you got listening to your audios or the tools of your company or using your products? And how many people have you got attending the events? And if you literally look at those numbers, because these are your income-producing activities, and you're consistent with those, and at the same time, you keep sharpening your mind and sharpening your acts, I can pretty much promise you that the person that, you, that is listening to this podcast right now, fast forward 12 months later, by doing all those things, the income-producing activities and sharpening the acts, 
it's going to be a different person. And you can go back to your list because just because you've shown your list of 100 or 200 doesn't mean there isn't people on that list that are going to be your future leaders. You've shown them, sometimes it's the wrong time. So my list, the reason that it's become bigger is I've got people on my list that I've been literally going back to every three or six months for the last eight years. That we even yeah. have a joke about it where they turn around and say to me, oh, it's been six months already. <laughs> you know, because they <laughs> know I want to keep in touch with them. Um, and that's why it's like even when you're doing something with your life, things are moving. Whereas unfortunately, a lot of people that are not doing something with their life, their life is stagnant. And it's a lot of the repetition of the same old thing. And if you're out there making things happen and you keep in touch with them every six months and you've got a new story to tell them of maybe something new that you've achieved or something that someone else has achieved into your organization, then they're going to start realizing sooner or later that, you know what, you're making things happen and their life is not moving and they may join you. Yeah. Does beautiful. that help? Yeah, that's really, really awesome. Uh, that's just great, great wisdom. So we got three minutes left, Epersini, and uh, sometimes I turn the table on the person I'm interviewing and I give them the last question. And I haven't prepped you for this, so you're going to have to just <laughs> spin it right off your intuition. Uh, what would you like the final conversation to be about on your call? You get to ask the question and I'll answer it. Mm. I guess my question to you, Richard, is if you had the opportunity to go back and rewrite your story in network marketing, what would your new story be like? Hmm. I didn't well, prep you, you for that one either. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, well, you know, you said something earlier that's so valuable. I have, a, I have a great deal of empathy for people that struggle in this profession. And because I struggled my first two and a half years, uh, I don't know, I might have sponsored in two and a half years 30 or 40 or 50 people. You know, most of them were, you know, either people that signed up as a doing me a favor or, um, you know, people that I found that were, you know, almost unemployed or homeless kind of people and, you know, people that I felt like I could dominate. So I always had a tendency to sponsor people that earned less money than I did. And I worked in a chicken plant. So I tended to sponsor people that either worked in the chicken plant at a lesser role than me or had a job that had less prestige and less income than even working in the chicken plant. It's classically, that's called in our profession uh, sponsoring down, sponsoring people that are less credible, less ambitious, less influential than you are because you feel like, you know, you look better uh, offering them a financial opportunity when what you really need to be doing is sponsoring up, offering the opportunity to people that have more influence than you do and, and more ambition and more credibility. And I know that that's a bit of a trick to do, but that's how we've all done it. And what, what catapulted my career was sponsoring somebody who was way more successful than I was. And he had, he was better educated and way more influential. And, 
And, you know, most people think, well, they wouldn't be interested because they're more successful than I am. But, of course, they are because, you know, even people that make three or $400,000 a year, they're broke on a different level. You know, if, when you start making that kind of money, you can't live in a $100,000 or $200,000 home anymore. You can't drive a $5,000 car. You have to upgrade your lifestyle to match your income. And so, you know, people that make three or $400,000 a year, they're just as broke as people that make thirty or $40,000 a year. They have a lot more debt. Mm-hmm. They're struggling with all those payments. So anyway, like to answer your question, what would I do different? Well, here's something ironically that I wouldn't do different. I wouldn't rewrite the story of my struggle. Two and a half years, my third year, my second year, 1099, that's, that's how you report income in the United States uh, from your network mm. marketing company. My income was $4,000. I was making about $300 a month. I was driving a borrowed car because all of mine were repossessed. I was living in a studio apartment. And I would not trade that struggle for anything. I wouldn't rewrite it because Mm -hmm. it has given me the empathy to coach and train and sit with and listen and encourage people that are also struggling. Now, I'd love to rewrite it for them. Like, it's, mm-hmm. fine to, it's fine to struggle, but once you have the struggle under your belt, you don't need to struggle forever. You don't need to struggle for five years. You know, six, you, know you can have a, a struggle story of six months. That's plenty. That's going to give you plenty of empathy in your career for people that struggle. You don't need to struggle forever. So I wouldn't rewrite that piece, but I'll tell you what I would do different. I would deploy and, and show far more integrity about doing what I was teaching other people to do. Hmm. So I think, you know, those of us that are on stage and we're influencing people and we're writing books and we're teaching about books, um, it's one thing to teach it. It's one thing to promote it. It's another thing to do it. And for me, the definition of integrity is walking your talk, um, you know, being an example of having your life be an example of your word. And it's not that I feel like I was out of integrity or a fraud. I just feel I left an, an, an enormous amount on the table there an enormous amount of integrity, uh, which had I put that in, had I been more integrous with my word, had I done more of what I was teaching other people to do, uh, I would have been much more successful, much more credible, and more, I guess more importantly than anything, much more at peace. Because I think all of us, we intuitively know when we're out of integrity, it bugs us, it nags at us, it doesn't give us peace. Integrity gives us peace, and it gives us power, and it gives us authenticity. And I think uh, if I left anything on the table in my career, it was 
integrity. You know, a lot of people think integrity has something to do with ethics or morals. It doesn't. It's, it, is simply who, it is simply who you claim to be. Like if we could peek behind the curtain, is that how you live your life? That's integrity. And so, you know, if you, mm. claim to, if you claim to be a lazy slob and we look behind the curtain and you are a lazy slob, well, you have integrity. And so I would, I would just encourage people to think about, you know, think about the claims that you make one of the things that I encourage people to do is, okay, when you stand up in an event and you get a chance to introduce yourself, you know, tell us who you are, what you're doing here, what, what this is all about. And, and you stand up in the meeting and you say, you know, my name's Richard Brooke and I've been here two years. And what I'm doing here is, you know, I'm building an empire. I'm building an extraordinary business. And then if I were to sit you down and say, well, just like you talked about, keeping track of your metrics, keeping track of your income earning activities. You know, how many people have you talked to in the last three months? How many presentations have you done? How many people have you enrolled? And if the answer is not in line with building an empire, then I say mm-hmm. you're out of integrity. And so sometimes what I encourage people to do is I say, look, if you have consistently demonstrated that you're not going to do this, but yet you keep showing up to the meetings pretending that you are, you have an integrity issue that's eating at your soul. And you might have some peace if you would just start standing up at the meeting and declaring, my name is Richard Brooke. I've been here two years. I haven't done anything, and I don't intend to but I sure like coming to the meeting. So that's a lot of conversation about integrity. And to answer your question, I would have had more integrity. Mm. Very powerful. Thank Very you, powerful. Everson. Thank well, you thanks, for having me. Gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. As usual, as usual we're over time. Um, but it was worth it. What a great story. I love hearing all of you. I mean, you have so much wisdom, so many distinctions. You're such a great student. And I, I'm, I'm sure, Efrasini, that you know how rare that is, that somebody comes into network marketing who's very educated, very successful in corporate America, but yet is so coachable, like takes the mentorship and really internalizes it and puts it to use. And you've obviously done that. You have so honored Matt and Johnny and the rest of your mentors by listening intently to what they tell you and executing, owning it, and passing it on to your people. Uh, that's what I got from you tonight is you're, you're just a great translator of the vision and the distinctions and the wisdom you soaked it all up you internalized it you put it into action and you're teaching it to other people and and you did that coming into the business as an already very successful brilliant person 
Very commendable, very inspiring. Thank you thank for you, joining us tonight. Thank all of you for joining us. I'm going to give the last word to Efrosini to say goodnight to you, and then Lindsay's going to unmute the call so you can all tell Efrosini how much you appreciate her. <laughs> thank you once again, guys. Good night. Good morning to everyone, depending what time zone you're in. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. For more invaluable training tools, such as audios, videos, and of course, his best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, head to blissbusiness.com. For 10% off your order, use the discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles.